The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. If you are a senior, if you are the parent of a senior, or if you are someone who works with seniors on their college process, uh, that would be me. That would be my guest, Steve, uh, all of my colleagues. You may be very aware of the fact that it is October 29th, uh, that after today, there are actually only two more days until November 1st. Uh, This is a huge cause for celebration for the next few days. However, it can be very stressful. So happy October 29th to everyone. The next time our our show airs on November 1st, or when our show airs, Next week on Thursday, November 1st, will be behind us for another year, and I'm very excited about that. All right, if you follow admissions in the news, you might be under the assumption that all students earn A's and get rejected from every single college to which they apply. Uh, hopefully, you've realized that can't possibly be the case because you know people who are in college. You see students going through it every year ahead of your child. Uh, so the good news is that that is, of course, completely not the case. Uh, but on this week's show, we're going to be talking about college admissions and the average student, as in the ones who get mostly B's. Uh, and if you're thinking about how are you going to pay for college, and honestly, I think about it every single day. My son's only 11, but it weighs heavily on my mind. Um, You may have noticed those net price calculators on every college's website and wondered what the heck they were for and how they work. So we're going to take you through those uh, later in the show. But first, because the November 1 deadline is looming, and some of you, despite my encouragement not to do this, have waited until the last minute, we're going to be talking about the college supplements for Stanford and the essay questions for the University of Wisconsin-Madison in another segment in our ongoing series on college essays. Very excited to welcome back my California-based, Midwestern-raised colleague, Steve Brennan, to the show. Hi, Steve. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And it's uh, incredibly, it's really a nice, um, it dovetails nicely with your background that we're talking about a California school and a Midwestern school. So I noticed that. Yep. Funny how we made that. Exactly. All right. So we have a lot, there are a lot of things to talk about here. And um, I thought we would start with Stanford if that works for you. Sure. Of course. All right. So Stanford has a number of prompts. Three of them are really more involved than the rest, although they're all very important. Anytime that a college asks you to write something for them, it's important. You should pay attention to it. You should write it as well as you possibly can. Let's talk about the first one um, briefly, because this is one that you're going to find used to be part of the Common App. It is still a question that a number of colleges ask, uh, and that is briefly elaborate on one of your extracurricular activities or work experiences. Um, 
what's your main suggestion to students when they're thinking about this? Sure. You have 150 words, and you cannot do a whole lot with 150 words, so don't mm-hmm. try to. My single biggest piece of advice for this, as in many of these, is inch wide, mile deep. Think narrowly about one thing. Think about what that has yielded for you. How has that been a positive for you? And remember, let's take a step back just for a second, Beth, and and remember that the application as a whole tells a story. It's a novel. It creates a picture. It paints a picture of who you are. Um, and, and so you want to think about, okay, what, what are the tone? What's the content? What are the other things that I talk about in the rest of my essays? You look down at the, at the list of essays of the 10 questions that Stanford <laughs> asks on their supplement. You don't want to be talking about piano for nine of the 10, right? Yes. <laughs> if you talk about piano in your main essay, don't talk about it here. Think about something else that maybe your admission officer won't know unless you share it with her through this 150 words. Pick something you've been involved with. It can be fun. It can be perhaps less serious if the rest of your application is super serious. This might be an opportunity to show your fun side. Mm-hmm. If the rest of your application is more uh, is lighter, then maybe this is something to show, uh, an opportunity to show something that has a little more not depth, but shows a different part of your personality. So again, you know, keep in mind, and I'm going to come back to this a couple of times today, but, but keep in mind the overall picture that you're painting. Pick one activity. Really show me as your reader, show your reader the extent to which you've been involved with it and how it's affected you, what you've learned from it, what the takeaways are. Got it. Great. Awesome. Thank you. I often tell students when you're thinking about that activity, think about what you love most about it, and that might be the place to start. So just to... Great. Yep. I love that. That's good. Yep. So for the next few, they they all have a 50-word limit. And um, before we get into each individual um, questions that have this 50-word limit... I have a, a question for you. I have a way that I usually do this, but um, I think it, it differs from student to student. What are your thoughts? Does this have to be um, answered? Do these have to be answered in complete sentences? Do these have to be essays? Can they be lists? What's your approach or what do you encourage students to do on these? Sure. So there are six of these prompts that are, you know, the 50 word limit and kids sweat blood on these. I should have mentioned at the top Beth, that, you know, I used to work out of the Palo Alto office and mm-hmm. every kid I worked with applied to Stanford. Um, I know these inside and out. I kind of dream them on October 29th, <laughs> like you say. So, yep. um, you know, it's, it's, you know, some of them do require essays or lend themselves more to essays. Some lists are fine and kids sweat blood over these. You know, I feel mm-hmm. Of course, they're important, and they're asking them for a reason, but, you know, they, when you get down to the level of detail in some of these, they're like, gosh, you know, what, what, do, I, what do I put? Well, you answer honestly, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, some of them, just listing is fine. When it says your favorite books, authors, films, and or artists, who do you listen to? You know, who right. do you read? What mm-hmm. do you like? What do you watch? There's really no right or wrong answer for that one. That one's definitely a list. What newspapers and magazines do you enjoy and websites do you enjoy? That's a list. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of the others, if I can just go ahead and, and, and jump into these. Go for it. Um, you know, the significant challenge that society faces today in 50 words, you're not going to solve it mm-hmm. in 50 words. Got it. <laughs> All you do is tell me what you think is a significant challenge. And I always ask students, you know, why do you think they ask this question? And I usually get the, I don't know, because they're so nervous and anxious that they can't really think uh, about, you know, what the university is hoping to learn about the potential candidate. 
the potential future, not just classmate, but roommate, doormate, member of the community there, right? They're trying to get a sense for how you engage in the world around you, um, what you see, how knowledgeable you are about things. It doesn't mean that you have to come up with a solution. It doesn't mean that, again, this has to be an issue that has global import. If you are focused on environmental issues, if you've been really involved in Heal the Bay, you lead beach cleanups, you go and uh, do a little removal from the, from the beaches. If that's, you want to talk about plastic and plastic bags and you know, you're from Santa Clara and the city of Santa Clara passing a plastic bag ban and take that out and talk about pollution and uh, contamination of the oceans, that's, that's great. That could be mm-hmm. one. That's fine. Um, I, I talk to students about that one in particular a little bit like a movie shot. You know, sometimes in movies, they'll start with a real close-up of a face, and then it backs up, and you see the person is sitting in a cafe, and it backs up a little bit more, and the person is sitting in a cafe in Paris. Sometimes they start with a wide shot and show the Eiffel Tower, and then zoom in on the Champs-Élysées, and then zoom in on a, on a cafe, and then zoom in on a person. You can do either way with these. So you can start with the Santa Clara bag band, for example, for using that one, and then back up to show why mm-hmm. pollution in the Pacific is such a problem. It's affecting weather patterns and etc. if that's your issue, or you can start globally and zoom in. But I think either one of those can be effective to show me as your reader that you have some sense of the issue. Don't try to solve it. Tell me what it is. Tell me why it's important and why it's significant. Yep. And you only have 50 words, so there's not a lot of space to do that. Yep. Yep. Do it quickly. Okay. How'd you spend your last two summers? Be honest. If you, you know, had a great vacation with your family, put that if you yep. worked to, uh, in your family's business, uh, put that. You know, if you babysat your younger brother, put that. Whatever it is that you've done, a couple sentences about that. You can't, again, get into a ton of detail here. And remember, the application as a whole paints a picture, tells a story. If on your activities list in the common application, you have listed your summer internship, do you need to list it again here? If it took place over the summer, mention it. You don't need to go into a ton of detail. Maybe fill in the gaps of the rest of your summer. Right. Sorry. Yes. No, that's it. Totally agree. (laughs) All right. Next one. Uh, What were your favorite events, e.g. performances, exhibits, competitions, conferences, et cetera, in recent years? Another 50-word limit one. Yep. And another list one. And recent years here, not middle school. um, Yep. And not just because some of us might be embarrassed about our taste in middle school, about what concerts we really liked at that point. <laughs> um, uh, you don't have to uh, tip your hand on those right now. Save that for the roommate essay, which we'll get to. Um, you know, for, for this one, again, it's a list. Again, be honest. Don't sweat blood over this. Um, it's, it's just a matter of trying to figure out how you spend your spare time and the kinds of things that you find interesting here. Right. And I think also, um, to your point, all of these are an opportunity to show different facets of who you are. So if you're a massive baseball fan and the greatest event that you witnessed over the past, you know, 10 years was watching the Red Sox win the World Series for the first time in your entire life and in your parents' life, that would be something fun to write about. And don't shy away from it because it doesn't seem serious enough. I think that's one of the big mistakes that I see students making. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 you know, sometimes students are tempted to stretch on this and mm-hmm. make it related to the institution. One of the students I work with went to a, a Cal Stanford game, and she's like, should I put that here? And I said, was it significant? Was it, you know, tell me about it. What would you say about that? And the more we talked, it wasn't really, it wasn't really a big deal for her. So she went with going to the parade for the Giants when they won the World Series. 
um, keeping with the baseball theme since it's October. And yep. uh, it was super effective. It really showed a lot about her. She could write from the heart to it. And, and so I thought that was a much better way to go than to try and stretch to make it relate to the institution. Right, to kind of pander to your audience. You don't want to do that if you can avoid it. Um, last one in these 50-word limit is what historical moment or event do you wish you could have witnessed? One suggestion I would have, the birth of Christ. Ah, I've seen it a million times. So personally, I would avoid that. But I don't know if you have others. Yeah, no, that's that's good. You know, it's it's um, again. Think about the overall tone of the application, the content, um, the impression that you're painting with all of these, and think about the different facets of yourself that maybe haven't come through yet. And this is an opportunity to be a little playful with that. Maybe if that's if that's something that your application could benefit from. Again, really no right or wrong answer. Um, I had one engineer who was a big history geek as well, and there wasn't really much room elsewhere in the application to talk about it. So he talked about uh, a historical moment here. And uh, 50 words again, you can't do much. He talked about the crowning of Charlemagne because Mm -hmm. he was uh, a big... Uh, you know, medievalist, and I thought it was great. It hit the right note, and for an engineer, it shows that he's thinking about more than one thing. Um, just, again, no wrong answer really here. They're just looking to get a sense for who you are. Right, so be honest. Um, very quickly, because I do want to get to these others, and we're already sure. getting Sorry. into our type. What five words best describe you? Um, I know I encourage kids to stay away from things like studious, hardworking, and diligent, because those are terms that are wonderful personal qualities, but not particularly exciting when you think about admissions. I did have a kid get into Stanford and who, who listed one of his words as bootylicious, which was awesome and totally him and <laughs> made sense, was a little risque. Um, but I'm curious if you have anything else that you would add. No, not too much to add there. Just, again, you know, be honest. And remember that the teacher recs that elsewhere in the app, they're going to talk about your studiousness. So, Think about what the admission officer is not going to know about you and use these words to, to help them out. Right. Like they may not know that you're bootylicious. Exactly. Okay. Um, all right. So now we get to the big ones. The first is Stanford students possess an intellectual vitality. Reflect on an idea or experience that has been important to your intellectual development. 250 words. So the next three are, uh, are the 250 words. And, and, what, they're, what I always encourage students to think about is if there was an idea that they came across in a chapter um, in, in school that they then went home and spent four hours on Wiki looking up or looked at Khan Academy videos or that they explored more on their own that led them in a different direction. You know, I'd always thought I was going to do computers and then I came across this idea in physics and now I really want to do physics instead because it's fascinating to me. Um, mm-hmm. Something like that can be, can be really effective. Not everyone has that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So then you think about, okay, how did I grow into what I like to do, what I'm curious about? Curiosity is the heart of this. Yep. They're what looking for I... that spark, right? I'm sorry? That's, they're looking for that spark, that exactly. spark of intellectual engagement kind that's of. That's it. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it does All not, right. again, you know, this does not have to be related to your intended major. Right. Exactly. But it does have to be related to something intellectual. I mean, that that word is there and twice. And so you shouldn't be writing about it if it doesn't tie some in some way to your um, how you think and what you think about. Okay. Um, Next one, the roommate question. So here it is. Virtually all of Stanford's undergrads live on campus. Write a note to your future roommate that reveals something about you or that will help your roommate and us know you better. What are your main um, sort of suggestions here for students? 
tone, tone, tone. Be chatty, be conversational, pretend that you're talking to a future roommate, another 17, 18-year-old. Um, it's hard, you know, Stanford kids who are viable at Stanford are super smart, and it's hard sometimes for them to let go of that intellectual rigor that they just really own. So this is a chance for them to let their uh, proverbial hair down a little bit and, and have some fun with this. You know, talk about your personalities, your quirks, things that make you interesting. And when I say tone, it's not just that, although that's a big piece of it, but also be positive. Do you, after you read it, do you want to live with you? Mm-hmm. You know, if yes. you are irascible in the morning, if you can have fun with that and, and, and play with that in the essay, great to include. Um, if you're a little messy, but, but show that you get that you're going to be sharing a very small space with another person and that your personality needs to come through, you're going to need to accommodate. Um, show some of the things that you like to do for fun. Um, and if you can do a little research on Stanford, this is a good place for that to come in. You know, uh, I'd love to go with you to XYZ in Palo Alto. I'd love to go with mm-hmm. you to, you know, the Palo Alto Diner. You know, do a little research, and, and um, that's a good way to kind of bring that in if that's something that you'd like to do. Yeah, and two other things that I would add. One is that I sometimes have students focus on one thing in this essay if they're struggling to figure out what to share. So that can be another way to kind of focus in on one element of who you are that you haven't shared yet, although they do give you a lot of opportunity to share that. And then the other thing I would say is that the worst version of this essay that I ever read was a student who wrote about all the things that they didn't want their roommate to do. Very bad idea. Right. No, again, (laughs) you know, keep it positive. Right. Yep. Exactly. Keep it positive. Okay. Last question for Stanford in this 250 word section is what matters to you and why? Yeah. Another one that students tend to sweat blood over a little bit. Um, you know, I think that I think the heart of this again is curiosity um, and also getting a sense for how you engage the world. Mm-hmm. What kinds of things do you know about? What kinds of things are important to you? Don't write about your parents. Don't write about anyone you're dating. Don't write about your siblings, your family. Of course, all of that matters to you, right? Of course, family is super important to you. Um, Think a little bit outside of that. And it can be issues-based. It can be something that you have a a real curiosity about intellectually. It can be something that you, if you were emperor or empress for a day that you could change, um, that gives you a chance to, again, have a little fun with it. This one, the tone can be really anything. It can be, it's, it's, it's super broad. Take a step back, look at the rest of your application, see where the gaps are, see what the person needs to know about you that they don't know about you yet. And that's what you want to hit here. Right, exactly. And it does need to always, always, and hopefully everyone's been picking up on the theme here. It's all about you. They want to learn about you. So if you write about something that matters to you and why, we need to know why it matters to you. And that's something I see sometimes students forgetting to address. Okay. That's Stanford. Um, Let's move on to Wisconsin. And actually, Wisconsin requires two essays. The second one uh, is really a why Wisconsin. And if you're curious about how to do a why this college essay, we actually did a whole segment on this uh, a month or two ago. So if you go to our archives uh, and you look through them, you will find the segment that we did on the why this college essay. So I'm really not going to um, ask Steve to delve into that one here. Uh, instead, let's talk about the other required essay. And both of these are 300 to 500 words. Uh, and the other required essay is consider something in your life you think goes unnoticed and write about why it's important to you. Yeah, I, I love this question, even though it's hard. I think it's yes. hard for students. I find students struggle with it a little bit. Um, 
first of all, you know, keep same as Stanford. You know, think about the application as a whole. What stories does it tell about you? Um, keep in mind the tone is really important. Sometimes students can get a little negative on this and get a little petulant, like, yeah, I do this. No one notices. You know, mm-hmm. I wish people would give me more attention for this because I contribute every day in this way. You know, stay away from that tone. Um, think about that contribution piece, though, is important. And sometimes to help students approach this, I have them think about the communities to which they belong. Mm-hmm. How do you help your family out? How do you help your school community out? How do you help the, the organizations that you're involved with or that summer internship that you had? Um, think about the ways you've been involved and the ways that you have contributed to those different communities through that involvement. And that can be, that can be a way to start to, to, start to approach this. Um, again, you know, stay positive and really zero in on the second half of this prompt, why it's important to you. Why is yep. that rewarding? What do you get out of it? That's really where you can show some of your character, some of your personality that can come through there. And that can be really helpful for the reader to get a sense for who you are and how you fit into to her community. Exactly. Steve, thank you so much. Uh, I, I think there was some really great information here for our listeners, which I so appreciate and um, appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, to everybody who's out there listening, net price calculators are up next. So do not go away because uh, I don't want you to miss it. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everybody. Before the break, I promised information on net price calculators, and I am here to deliver on that promise. Um, very excited to have Tara Piantanita Kelly, who has worked in financial aid at Rochester Institute of Technology and Menlo College, among many others, actually, and who currently works a college coach. And she's here to give us the details. Welcome, Tara. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Nice to be here. Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to have you. All right. Net price calculators. Let's start with something super basic, which is what is a net price calculator? Why do we care? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that is an excellent question. Um, But I'm actually going to back it up a little bit more. Um, I'm going to define net price uh, before I define net price calculator. And before I define net price, I'm going to define sticker price. (laughs) All right. let's, let's Let's start with sticker price and then we'll work to net price and then to net price calculator. So uh, every school has what they call a, a sticker price. It's the entire cost of attendance for one year at that school, and it includes everything, tuition, fees, room, board, books and supplies, transportation to and from school, and miscellaneous personal expenses. And colleges list this sticker price, they call it their cost of attendance or their budget, uh, on their websites and in their materials. So that's what the sticker price is. The net price is the sticker price, minus all types of free money like grants and scholarships that a student can receive. So sticker price is the the whole shebang, what it would cost if you just paid cash and didn't get any discounts. The net price is the sticker price minus free money like grants and scholarships. So the net price calculator is a tool that students can use to estimate what their grants and scholarships might be at that school so that they can see what their net price at that particular school or college might be. So if you wanted to think about it this way, if uh, if you were buying a car, you would know what the sticker price is because it's, it's on the window, right? Yep. Um, and you can certainly buy the car for that amount. But if you don't want to pay full price for that car, wouldn't you want to know what kind of discount you might be able to receive if you were to buy it? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Imagine so walking around the, the parking lot, you know, looking at the different cars and seeing what their sticker prices are in the window, and then being able to see the discount that you might receive on that particular car if you were to make an offer. That's kind of what the net price calculator does for students and families. It gives them a little insight into what they might pay less than the sticker price at that particular school. Right. So, I mean, one of the things that I do often tell parents is I wouldn't automatically assume that a school is out of your price range um, for exactly this reason, right? So what is published and what you actually might pay could be different. They're not always going to be different, but they can be different. And that's where these net price calculators come in. Um, that's exactly right. You never know until you, until you apply or until you do one of the net price calculators. Exactly. So here's the, the a big question that everyone's probably thinking about. Well, which colleges, these seem awesome. Which colleges have them? Yeah, and that's just the beauty of it. Every college has them. The, the Department of Education requires all schools that participate in the federal student aid program, it requires them to have one of these. Uh, now, this is a fairly new thing. It's only been the, the last few years. Um, my, I have a daughter who's a senior in college right now, and when we were looking at schools for her, uh, they did not they did not have net price calculators. So this is a this is a newer thing, but every single college has one on their website. Got it. All right. And where do you find it on their website? Well, that might be it. Might not be readily apparent. You might not go right to their website and have a, a big you know, a sign that says "Click here for our net price calculator." Uh, instead, you might have to go to their their search bar, 
on the particular college's website and type in net price calculator. And then it will bring you to their net price calculator and and you can complete it from there. Uh, Another way that you could do it is uh, you could go to the College Board's website, which is collegeboard.org. And the College Board has a uh, kind of a standard generic uh, net price calculator tool that many colleges use. So if you go to the collegeboard.org and type in net price calculator, it will bring you to a list of institutions that use their particular net price calculator, and you could do a, a whole bunch of net price calculations on a whole bunch of different schools just from that one website. And sort of like comparing car costs, right, in terms of, you know, you can sometimes find out what this dealership's going to sell that car for, this dealership's going to sell that same car for, and a third dealership might sell it for something different. It at least gives you a place to understand where you might fall. And and do you see sometimes differences between different colleges and the net price that a family would pay with the same information entered? Oh, absolutely. Actually, when I was um, preparing for this, uh, I did some net price, ca- I probably did 30 or 40 net price calculations for 30 or 40 different schools wow. while using the same, same information. And I was surprised at the, the differences in the net prices at schools. I, I did, you know, some very, very expensive schools and I did some less expensive schools. I did some public schools and some private schools. And uh, I gotta tell you, I was surprised by, by quite a few of them. Um, because each school has their own specific, like I call it a packaging policy. I come from the financial aid environment, and mm-hmm. each school has their own packaging policy. And so I could, you could put in the same information for, for five different schools. They're each going to have their own different packaging policy, and they're each going to give you, you know, their own different, you know, financial aid awards. So the net price at each of those schools is going to be, you know, it's going to be different for 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 one student. It could be five different. Uh, uh, net price calculations, five different costs. Right. And and would you say that those different packaging policies are really tied to institutional um, goals, right? Well, we want more of students who look like you. We package you a little bit more attractively than we might for a student that we have tons of. Is that accurate or are there, uh, there are other ways to look at it? Um, that is very accurate, but different schools have uh, different po- packaging policies. That is for sure. So uh, like I can tell you that Harvard doesn't give any merit-based aid. So if you do the Harvard net price calculator, uh, they're going to only show you, you know, if you have, if you qualify for one of their need-based grants, they will show you that. Um, Whereas if you put the same information into a school that does both merit aid and need-based aid, um, and if the school asks you some academic information, it might say, oh, you know, we see that you have an ACT score of 32, you qualify for our, you know, presidential scholarship, uh, you know, and that's their way of attracting that student, you know, away from another school by offering right. them that incentive to enroll in the form of money. So, yeah, absolutely. It depends on, you know, the, the school, you know, what the school goal, goals are. Um, if they want to say, you know, we have students from all 50 states and they only have one applicant from Wyoming, that student is pretty much going to get a scholarship <laughs> to entice right. them to enroll. And, uh, you know, so when they're, that student is doing the net price calculator for this particular school and they put in, you know, that they're from Wyoming, all of a sudden, you know, they right. might get a, a much different award than another student from, say, Pennsylvania. 
Right, the jackpot sign will flash and there will be like <laughs> bells going off. You winner, winner, we will pay for you to come here, basically. <laughs> what, exactly. That, so but this actually, actually don't know what the what the school's goals are. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's exactly you. right. <laughs> which is why which is why you get this so but this raises a question for me as as a parent or even as a student, if I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try what you did and, and maybe enter my information for thirty or forty different schools, what information should I have in my hands when I sit down to fill out the net price calculator and is it the same for every school? Ah, that's a good question. It is not the same for every school. Schools can determine, I mean, the department gives them some guidelines. These are some of the things that, you know, you must ask. But beyond that, schools can be more, they can be general or they can be very, very specific. They can ask you a whole bunch of information, you know, hoping to to give a very, um, uh, to calculate the best um, net price possible. But some things that you're definitely going to want to have available because almost all of the schools are going to ask uh, in the net price calculator, you're going to want to have some of your income and tax statements ready. They're going to be asking you about your family's financial situation for sure um, because they're going to see if you qualify for any need-based grants at their school. And then oftentimes they'll ask about some of your academics as well. So have your, your GPA and some of your standardized test scores handy. Got it. And right, which would make sense. If you're going to be considering merit aid, you're going to need those things. Whereas if all you're going to be considering is finance, then all you need are the financial, uh, the financial information, right? Financial information. I don't know why I can't pronounce Mm -hmm. that word today for some reason. Okay. (laughs) So then here's a, here's an even bigger question. Let's say you go through the process of filling out all of these net price calculators. You find out that at these 10 schools, they're going to, they're going to give you all kinds of discounts and the, and the price you would end up paying is going to be way less than maybe at these, the other, these other 10 schools. And so you, you direct all of your time and energy towards those 10, you only apply to those 10, you get into all 10, and then is it possible that the um, packages you get back won't look like what they said they would on the net price calculator? So in other words, how accurate are these? Well, uh, they some are very accurate and some are less accurate. <laughs> Again, it depends on the school. It's an, remember, it's, a, it's an estimate based on, you know, their, their previous class and what their current packaging policy is. So if by chance their packaging policy, let's say I did the, the net price calculator today and, and then my son, uh, you know, uh, applies to the school two years later and he gets a very different financial aid award, it's possible that they have changed some of their packaging policy. So it, it, it's not a guarantee. It's not like if, if you go to that school and you say, hey, but I did this net price calculator and here are the results and how come I don't have this? you know, XYZ award that, you know, shows on my net price calculator, you know, just remember it's an estimate. So there are a couple of things to to keep in mind. There's a couple of little areas where if you have a student in this situation, the net price calculator is either iffy or it doesn't work at all. (laughs) And and I'll tell you what those are. So if you have a student who is interested in an out-of-state public uh, institution, if that out-of-state institution doesn't ask what state the student is in, it's just going to give in-state rates. And so that might really skew what you think you're going to pay. Now, if they do ask what state the student is in, you have a better chance of getting an accurate net price. Also, um, for uh, undergraduate international students, it just they're just not equipped for that 
and the same thing for graduate students. Unless the school has specifically built a net price calculator for their graduate students for graduate studies, it doesn't really work. Got it. Okay, and that's a really good point because we do have people who listen from other countries. If you're international, it's probably not going to give you the information that you need. So that's super helpful to know. Tara, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So after the break, we're going to be discussing college admissions for B students, and we'll be back in just a minute. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. We're back with our headlining segment of the day, and that is college admissions and the average student. Believe it or not, these two things go very well together. Uh, And I'm very excited to have my colleague and friend Tova Tolman back for this segment. Welcome, Tova. Thanks for having me, Beth. Absolutely. Uh, One thing that I will get occasionally, it doesn't happen all that often, but with a parent who is particularly wound up about their child's performance, I have had a mother say to me on more than one occasion, and sorry, moms, it is often the mom, occasionally the dad, but usually the mom, um, will say, you know, well, my kid's only getting Bs. I mean, at this point, should we like even be looking at college? Is he even going to get into college? And I laugh and say, 
Everybody take a breath. Absolutely. Of course. Um, so let's start with this question. You know, what is a B student? Is this really such a rare thing to have a child who's a B student? Well, I mean, just the numbers are going to tell it pretty clearly. Most students are B students. You know, if you think about all the frenzy and the chaos out there about college admissions, I think what media sometimes likes to help us forget is that nearly 80% of colleges out there are accepting more than half of their applicants. Yep. So let's just think about the, the numbers and the math out there for a minute. If you figure, you look at your high school, it's a really strong high school, 85, 95% of the students are going on to a four-year college, 95% of those students are not A students. The majority of students are probably B students or maybe even lower. So clearly these students are going somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what families need to remember. It doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't ready for college if they, they are perhaps a B student. Exactly. And I mean, I think the fact is that all those stories you hear about the students with perfect test scores and perfect grades and amazing accomplishments not getting in anywhere. I mean, that's <laughs> really the exception, but it's very fun to talk about it or not fun, but it's sure. it's it's catches people's attention, I think, when you talk about that. Yeah. Um, so here's a big question for you. And that is, you know, uh, and a B average is a 3.0. Typically, are all 3.0 averages the same, in your opinion? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because the answer could not be a louder no. (laughs) There are so many different ways to a 3.0. And keep in mind, the colleges, especially the ones that are doing a deeper holistic review, are going much further beyond what is the student's cumulative GPA. You know, what is that raw average is really only the beginning of the story. Typically, colleges are really delving into the full transcript. And sometimes... Students come up with a straight 3.0. They've been a solid, steady B student. Maybe they have a couple of B pluses. Maybe they have a couple of B minuses. And that's one version of a 3.0. Other students perhaps start out maybe a little bit more modest. Maybe freshman year is really rough for them. They have a whole lot of Cs. They're struggling with that transition. Uh, They kind of pull it together a little bit more by sophomore year. They start raising it up more towards Bs. And by the time they get to junior year, they're mostly A students. That student's still going to be a 3.0 student. That student's GPA is very different than the student who has straight Bs from the start. And, you know, it does warrant stating, though, it's also quite different the student who starts out strong and takes a a steady slide down. That student certainly, I'd say, is the least favorable kind of of 3.0 out there. Right. Uh, and, And I will also say, the kinds of courses students are taking are always going to weigh into the consideration as to what kind of grades they get. You know, we always get that that age-old question of, hey, what's better to get a B in an honors course or an A in a regular course? And that sort of question very much plays a role in looking at the grades a student gets. What kinds of courses did they earn uh, those grades in? Uh, What was the context for that grade is certainly a big part of the review process. Yes, and fun fact, that show that we did on whether or not it's better to get a B in honors or an A in college prep is our most popular show to date. We get tons of people listening to that over and over, so it remains a big question uh, that people want an answer to. So, uh, okay, here's, here's another one that um, I get frequently. Um, sometimes from students, often from parents, and that is even though I or even though my child has Bs, 
you know, here she goes to a school that is super tough. And um, either they're saying, I've heard that colleges will do this or will colleges do this. Um, and if you've listened to this show before, you know that anything that starts with the phrase, I've heard that. I heard. <laughs> almost always wrong. So you always have to worry that. But I've heard that colleges will treat them like A's. So can I still apply to Harvard? What's your take on that? <laughs> well, you know, it, that, that one does have a little bit of merit to it. And let's unpack that one a little bit. Uh, and, and for a minute here, let's take Harvard off the table. Sure. It is true that high schools are not necessarily all viewed equally, you know, just by the very fact that you know, schools have different curriculums and colleges, are, again, are, are trying very hard to get at the context from which the student is applying, what courses are offered at that school, what is the average GPA at a school. If uh, the school really doesn't give out many A's when they're looking at that student's transcript and they realize, wow, you know, less than 3% of the student body has 4.0 or, or whatever the case might be, an, an A might mean a little bit more at one school than another. Maybe a B does have greater weight at one school than another. The reality is, let's now put Harvard back on the table, is it... When, even if you are that student who is still quite strong, but not at the top of your class, if you're still not at the top of your class, schools like the Harvards of the world recognize that there are students who are performing at a higher level than you. So even if you are doing quite well, you're not necessarily at the, at the very, very top. But that doesn't mean that for the majority of other schools out there, that they wouldn't happily perhaps dip a little lower to a GPA than they might compare to a school down the street. So, you know, the truth in, in that statement is that, yes, schools are viewed very differently. But at the end of the day, a B is still a B when an A is an option and when an A is being given and your student isn't necessarily getting that A. So, yes, schools are viewed individually and differently, uh, but at the same rate, Harvard is Harvard. <laughs> those, yep. you know, those tiny few schools in that category are still going to be in that category. Yeah, and I think that's uh, super important um, to understand all of the different things that go into that. And um, I think you did a great job of explaining that. And all I will say is that when my time at Penn, there was a school in Connecticut where students routinely averaged about a B plus. Their best students usually had somewhere between a B plus and an A minus. So when I once saw a student come through with a 93 average, I knew, holy moly, this kid is really, really bright. Whereas I had another school uh, in upstate New York where 55% of the senior class had an A average. So grade inflation was just rampant there. And a 93 average might as well have been a C average at some other schools. So, (laughs) you know, it's just, it really is dependent on so many different things, right? So That's an excellent, excellent point. Rank, you know, I'll say it comes in that play as well. There was a school I remember reviewing uh, when I was at Barnard College uh, in Northern California in the Bay Area, where typically we wouldn't have gotten much below maybe the top 10% of the class. And this is a school I would routinely, very comfortably dip down into maybe the top 40%, top 50% because I knew how well those students were prepared. Right, exactly. And so it doesn't mean that going to a really phenomenal school turns your B's into A's. It just means that, um, you know, hopefully you're getting a really great education. And depending on how well those students are um, prepared and and what school you're working at, you might be willing to dip a little bit lower. And and, um, 
Conversely, you might not, depending on the school. Right. So right. all very important. What about the age-old question, well, I'm a B student, but I have really strong testing. Um, can really phenomenal test scores make up for a B average, particularly when you start looking at those schools that are more selective? Yeah, that's another tough question because, you know, clearly that student is demonstrating some element of potential and college readiness there. But question number one, or really the starting point for any review, is always going to be in the transcript. You know, test scores are never going to be more important than the transcript. There might be schools out there that are test optional, but I've yet to find a school out there that's transcript optional. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'd say for the schools that are maybe still pretty darn selective, but let's say not the most selective, maybe schools that are accepting 40% of their students, 30%, 50% of their students, so they're still doing a close review, they might be able to dip a little lower on transcript because they see that sort of demonstration of college readiness for test scores. But, you know, an example, again, to pick on Harvard that we've used many times in our conversations, that the perfect test scores are not going to get you into Harvard if you don't have that transcript to back it up. And ultimately, the student's day-to-day performance across their four years is going to be a better measure for the colleges than a one-time test score. Right. And by the way, even if you have the perfect scores in the transcript to back it up, meet the rest of the Harvard applicant pool. So you're going to have to have more than that. So, uh, yes, an excellent clarification. Uh, but, you know, so you've got a B student or you are a B student and you picked up one of those guidebooks and they're listing the top 150 colleges from that guidebook's perspective. Are those out of reach if I'm a B student? Um, should I really just be throwing that away and looking at something else or really um, just downgrading my goals for myself? Yeah, not even in the slightest. And, you know, this is one of those pure numbers realities. If uh, all those schools were only filled by A-plus students, where are they getting all those students from? (laughs) Where are they finding those students? You know, that might be true if you look at the sort of average GPAs of admitted students and maybe those top 20, top 30 schools or so, you know, it might it might mean it's going to be out of reach. Depends, of course, on your high school and depends, of course, on the year and all the other wonderful attributes you might bring to the application. Chances are those schools are really going to be real reach schools for you. But the reality is once you start getting uh, past those top 40 or so, you get into the top 50, top 60, still phenomenal schools. Schools, uh, the average GPA of an admitted student very well might be a B, uh, part of the, nope. <laughs> the double use of the word B there. But uh, the reality is most schools, once you get outside of those top 30, top 40 or so, are very welcoming and including inclusive of students with B averages. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I do find, too, that you have to really dig a little bit to figure out how they determine student averages because yes. um, sometimes schools, different schools have different policies. Some schools will lift it right off the student's transcript. Sometimes they use a weighted average provided by the high school. Sometimes they recalculate their own average for the student where they will pull out certain classes. Um, maybe they will provide their own weighting for those uh, classes. So it's really tough even to compare GPAs from school to school. You really need to, as you are looking Looking and getting interested in schools, understand, try to understand how they do it. Um, and yeah. often they might talk about that in an information session or answer that if you raise that question in an information session. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good point, because all four mm-hmm. of the schools I worked at 
uh, we did it four different ways. So that, that is a really, a really good point. Even from the school's college's perspective, B isn't always the same thing or 3.0 isn't always the same thing. Uh, but that is something that at each of the schools I worked at, we were very transparent about answering if someone did come up and ask us. So you, you, you make a good point. Do ask and find out when they are advertising what their average admitted GPA is, uh, what does that mean and what does that reflect? Right. And we were very, very upfront about it at Penn as well. And we helped them understand what we considered and how we considered it. Uh, and I don't know if people felt like they walked away really understanding it, but we tried to be as clear <laughs> as we could be. So who knows? Perhaps someone who sat in on my information session a few years ago will call in and let me know. Yes, you were clear. Or no, you weren't clear at all. Okay. We have done... Um, a few segments on creating a college list and thinking about fit. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about that, I would send you right to our archives where there's, as I've said before, tons and tons of great stuff. But what kinds of resources would you suggest uh, for B students? Are there a few sure. that you particularly like? Yeah, and I'd say everything we've already mentioned still holds true, and really that should probably begin and guide your search. But two that are uh, really great and geared towards specifically these students are one that's put up by U.S. News and World Report is uh, A-plus colleges for B students. And they use their own rankings and ratings uh, and, and pull together those schools that are a little bit more inclusive. And this is by no means a ranking and rating of what might be a good school for you, but it's a great place to to begin in terms of looking for schools to consider, to put them on your radar, maybe, maybe schools you haven't heard of before because you maybe do need to look outside that box of those same 30, 40 schools everyone's talking about. Another great one is a book out there called America's Best Colleges for B Students. Again, a place to begin to familiarize, your schools with, uh, familiarize yourself with schools outside of those same schools that everybody's talking about all the time. Right. Tova, thank you so much, and thanks to all of my guests today. Before we wrap things up, I want to mention two things. First, we are in the final days of a special offer on our comprehensive packages for seniors. Uh, so you may be thinking it's too late to get help. You couldn't be more wrong. Um, we do have people who sign up and, um, and get help with maybe just one piece of the application, sometimes with everything. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more, call 877-842-1549. It's 877-842-1549. 1549. Mention that you're a getting in listener. Um, the offer expires on the 31st, so you're going to want to act quickly. Um, secondly, you definitely want to tune in for next week's show, which will be hosted by my colleague, Sally Ganga. Sally's going to cover a whole lot of important topics. Uh, first, she's going to be discussing all of the issues surrounding submitting test scores, how to do it, when to do it, which scores to send where, when or if to rush your scores, what to do if there's a screw-up on the testing organization side. And by the way, I'm looking at you, College Board and ACT organization, because you're having major issues right now that we are all suffering through. Uh, it's amazing how many elements there are to what should be a relatively simple process. So we're going to go through that next week. Um, she's also going to cover prep preparing for the college interview. It's not available at as many schools these days, but they're still it's still part of the process at a number of schools. So we're going to talk about how you or your child can get ready for those. She's also going to cover major changes to the FAFSA for 2017-2018, including what information uh, families will actually be including in the FAFSA and when the form is going to be available, which is, by the way, much earlier than the past. So you want to tune in to find out more about that. 
As a reminder, every show is available 24-7 on the Voice America website and for free download from iTunes. But if you do want to listen live, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.